When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, us spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I am your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers, also from 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera on Travel Channel and the Max streaming service. Gonna get used to saying that. I was saying Discovery Plus for so long. I'm recording this intro from the haunted Belvoir Winery and Inn in Liberty, Missouri, outside of Kansas City. So there's a little bit of a echo in my intro. It's because I'm in a, a nice big room with these very high ceilings. So it's it's great for ambiance and probably terrible for me recording a podcast intro. This is I'm here for the Strange Escapes event. That's the paranormal tourism event company run by Amy Bruni of Kindred Spirits. So we'll be here and uh, pursuing some spirits and spirits in the forms of going on leading some attendees on paranormal investigations and also enjoying lots of wine. And tonight, there will be an 80s-themed party, so I'll have to get dressed for that. Anyhow, if you've not been to Belvoir, please check it out. It's it's definitely worth seeing. It's very spooky and also very cozy. It kind of strikes the balance of both. Also, just as an announcement, on the Patreon side of things, at patreon.com slash Aaron Sagers, I want to say a big thanks to Emmy, who put together, to put together a Waverly Hills Sanatorium event zine. That was from May 11th to May 13th is when that event took place. And Emmy, this is not the first time she's done it. Emmy did it with Mount Washington last year. She put together this uh, lovely like booklet, this zine of artwork of all the speakers and the moments from the event. And for me, she includes a picture of me and what I think is probably one of my finest moments, honestly, playing with a rooster collar from the Wild Turkey Bourbon Company, and they joined me for a talk about haunted Kentucky distilleries and gave me, gave me some swag, including this rooster collar. And Emmy's illustration de- depicts me proudly holding up that gobble call and going crazy. It's very accurate. Uh, it's very accurate. I like it. I'm, I'm quite proud of it. I'm proud of the art, and I'm proud of that moment. Also, a happy birthday to her because she was working on this zine right around the time of her birthday on May 17th, and we were the one that got the gift. Her birthday, I got the gift. Also, speaking of birthdays, just from the Patreon side, happy birthday to Joe, Chad, and David. Love you guys. You're, you late May and June babies. Thank you for your support. Okay, now on to the show. This week, we are talking about the psychology of a haunt with Dr. Travis Langley. Travis is a distinguished professor of psychology at Henderson State University. He's best known as the author of the acclaimed book, Batman and Psychology, A Dark and Stormy Night. And he has edited numerous pop culture psychology anthologies. And I'm happy to have contributed to a couple of those, including the Joker psychology and the Doctor Who psychology books. So, and there's a second edition of the Doctor Who Psychology book coming out in, I believe, October. I've also contributed heavily to that one. So, happy to know Travis and work with Travis. And I wanted to get him on the show because previously we discussed the sociology of fear and why we love to be scared with Dr. Margie Kerr. But I wanted to talk about what's going on psychologically with our paranormal experiences, as well as why might a ghost be a ghost? Why might a ghost stick around and haunt a place 
from a psychological perspective. And there's obviously lots of theories. There's not one strict response to it. But Travis and I talk about a certain type of ghost. If they stick around, why they might be. How, how is that reflective of a psychological profile? So listen to the following interview, Dr. Travis Langley and the psychology of a haunt. Travis Langley, Dr. Travis Langley, thank you so much for joining me today. My friend, I've known you for a long time. We've covered a lot of ground at Comic-Cons, a lot of territory, it seems like. I've lost track of how long we've known each other now. I know, it has been a long time. Um, But I don't know that I've ever really, out of all the books you've done, out of all the panels we've been on together, uh, all the meals we've had, I haven't really gotten your origin story, I don't think. Um, For people that may know your books, but may not be familiar with your background. How did Travis become Travis? Well, I was born a nerdy child long ago. Um, but, uh, I mean, you know, my dad found in my baby book where one of my earliest words was Batman. I mean, I've always been interested in, um, I've always been interested in heroic things. I've always been interested in fantastic things. Um, it's, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I believed in everything and I believed in it longer than some of the other kids. I was probably the last one in the class to revise my views on Santa Claus. Um, I was intrigued. I remember the first time I ever heard of uh, psychokinesis. It was through uh, this show called it to tell the truth. Uh, this one guy who was an expert on this and people were asking questions. Oh, this fascinated me. I would have been fifth or sixth grade. I know because of where I was living at the time. And um, you know, Bigfoot, is, uh, 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 this was intriguing, the idea that there was this creature out there somewhere in the world. And But you know, these different fast, fascinating things, although among them, um, the, the ghosts are actually weren't as interesting to me as Bigfoot and, and, and the telekinesis, psychokinesis, as I was originally introduced to the term um because well you know a fantastic monster and superpowers you know <laughs> but uh so no i i grew up a methodist uh, minister's kid okay and uh so always spirituality was an important part you know spirituality and issues of what motivates people to do right and wrong and, and these these were these were part of the religious background that I grew up. These have always been part of uh, things that are fascinating, intriguing to me. And in terms of how I wound up writing the books, that's that's this other convoluted route. Um, you know, it's if you're gonna write a sec- book on the psychology of a superhero and his enemies. You start with Batman, but then it led to these other things. When that book did well, other psychologists and and people in related areas wanted to get involved, and so we've done. 15 titles uh, most of them are anthologies me and other people writing you've contributed you're not a psychologist uh, but we, you know, we've had times where you've been interviewing some people and i've given okay see if you can ask them these questions uh, so i can weave them into a psychology chapter that's always fun mm-hmm. um, it's been fun to do you and i have actually never done any convention panels together on the supernatural, even though you've done many, 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 and I've done a number because, um, well, it's like you and I have talked about the fact that I don't believe in ghosts, but I would love to be wrong. Right. It's and and uh, it's and and so far, all the ghost hunters I've encountered uh, through these convention panels, they they respect that. Uh, they they do because I'm intrigued about what they do and why they do the things they do. So, you know, for the last three years uh to, um, I, oh, actually interrupted by a lockdown so it's been a little longer than that that i've been doing this time is always going to have to have that asterisk when we refer to this period of history um so i've been uh, the first one i did was in new orleans like you know, one of the most haunted cities in america according to them according to the tour guides there, the most haunted city in america uh, <laughs> of course according to tour guides in some other places um but, well it's yeah. always it's always curious because even though I operate within this paranormal world, well, professionally within the paranormal pop culture realm, I guess the it's my response to that. Whenever I hear it's the most haunted hotel or city, I'm always curious to see who got the ghosts to fill out a census. Uh, <laughs> where's, where's where's the survey that we're we're documenting this? But I appreciate the the pun intended, the spirit of the statement, and yeah. and and based on the oral 
storytelling, the oral history of a place, it does seem like there's certain locations that rightly deserve the reputation as quote unquote most haunted as you know we like you said new orleans we consider it to be one of these most haunted spots because of the number of stories that come out of it well new orleans is one of the oldest cities in america uh the the oldest city west of might be the original colonies i'm not sure but it's uh and it's it's got a very spiritual nature it's got this bizarre mix of possibly the most catholic city in america uh while it's also you know the biggest party town and yeah. it's it's got it's got that intriguing mix and the the style it's the, the 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 there's a spooky look to a whole lot of new orleans and there's the piracy in the history you know New Orleans had pirates. Chicago didn't have pirates. You know, it's there. There are there are many things about the history that logically could either, depending on which way we are on the belief. Well, of course, of course, there are ghosts who can be there. There are tormented souls. Uh, there's but it's got a high murder rate through its whole history, and um, so. And it's, but those are also reasons why people could be ready to believe these things. And New Orleans, in particular is a place that I love because it is this preserved uh, crockpot. It's a gumbo, if you will, Mm -hmm. of beliefs and cultures that still thrives. So whereas some places become a bit homogenized or Mm -hmm. the diversity of beliefs can be watered down, New Orleans is this city in the United States that really embraces and elevates that diversity of cultures and beliefs. So with that, we get all the legends that come with all the legends, the beliefs, everything that come with those different uh, cultures. I I think that that's kind of, it is a gumbo, but it's a gumbo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've got the voodoo in the history Mm -hmm. and well, just New Orleans itself has more of its history preserved than some cities do. You know, it's like downtown New Orleans is not gentrified. Right. You know, it's it's still the quarter. And, and it's not just the, the quarter that, you know, it's like not far away are the swamps, plantations, which have their violent uh, histories. And it's like, here's this big plantation sitting in the middle of nothing, surrounded by, you know, it's, there are all these areas around where it's like, if, if, if there are ghosts, there are a lot of reasons to think, yes, there could be more there. If yeah. there aren't, there are a lot of reasons to think, yeah, people are going to be expecting to see ghosts in a place like that. Well, okay, let me backtrack a bit because yeah. I know where you live now. I know where you teach. I know your son, who is also an author. The where did you initially grow up? Uh, Southern Arkansas, uh, with uh, three years in Texas while my dad was in seminary. Okay, and and that's right. I went to graduate um, school in New Orleans. That's also part of my interest in that city. Oh, okay. Um, where were you? Where did you went go? To Tulane. Uh, Tulane, great school. The for you growing up, what were some of the local urban legends or or haunted houses, the creepy old house at the end of the block? Were there anything in young Travis's life that were the stories that kind of stuck with you that you can reflect on? We had the Falk monster, although as movies called them, Boggy Creek monster. Mm-hmm. The, the legend of Boggy Creek is, uh, yeah, Falk, Falk, Arkansas is just a little bit off the uh, path between here and Texarkana. And I have, uh, I have friends who've done a documentary about uh, Charles Pierce who made the film Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek and uh, uh, the, the, the town that dreaded sundown, which was its own mystery. It's, uh, I've, I know my great grandmother was certain she had seen a ghost, um, but there there weren't there wasn't a lot of talk on the on haunted houses. It was but but that but that Arkansas had its own Bigfoot. Even yeah. though people will tell you, no wait, he has three toes, not four, or four toes, not five. Then up there is the three toes on the Falk monster. Um, and, so that, and that that was intriguing to me. I think that that might even figure into why, what I was talking earlier about something like Bigfoot having interested me in more in Ghost. I'd have heard more about some of you know our our local Bigfootish monster right. uh, than Ghost. 
it's part of your your kind of oral tradition growing up mm -hmm. and and i find like with nerds with comic book nerds uh, people have heard heard me say many times that for me growing up i was reading comic books i was watching horror movies in twilight zone and and reading science fiction at the same time that i was reading about spooky stories or uh, quote unquote parapsychology and things like that so it was almost like embracing the fantastical was all part of my young existence which i think is was, was probably pretty great because it, like you said like even being uh, amongst your your peers later to uh change your opinions about santa claus same here mm -hmm. and i think great i would i'm glad that i grew up with this sense of wonder and embracing fantasy because sometimes it can be quite this uh, this effective place to go to coping mechanism in in what can be a, a very grueling world yeah we want the world to be interesting and even when the world even some i mean some of the things we're talking about we're talking about some scary stories terrifying alien abduction is a terrifying thing it's a uh, uh, well for most of us so, uh, so you, you abduction of any kind is terrifying it's uh, you know or thinking somebody might be possessed or that there are you know, tormented ghosts nearby. And it's like, these are, are things that have their fear to them. They also make life more fun. They say that there is more to life than just what we see in front of us. And that may go back to just the basic question of, we need to believe there is more than we see. It's you know, existential philosophy goes into arguing that this is part of our, our view of our own existence, our concerns about our own existence and wanting there, you know, to, we're aware of our own mortality. And we, we seem to be fairly unique among you know, species on this planet and the degree to which we can think about the fact that, you know, we, we can and will die. Uh, the existential psychology, which grows out of that, or more modern version of it is terror management theory, which is just, it's, a more scientific version of existential psychology saying that we're aware of our own mortality and the fear of that, that's the terror um, in, in the terror management theory, motivates a whole lot of our behavior. And if this, oddly enough, it motivates part of our, our desire to understand or our desire to believe in something else existing whether it's part of, uh, it gives you a sense of your own continued existence beyond mortality, or just that to know there is more than we can pin down. We want there to be more interesting stuff. And we want continued existence for ourselves and others. We, for the history behind us, we want, we want a good story. Right. We're, we're very motivated by wanting a good story. Well, from a psychologist's perspective is believing in ghosts or believing in the paranormal mm -hmm. is it healthy and when does it cross over into unhealthy or delusional well the majority of the people on earth believe in the paranormal and or supernatural there's a difference to some degree that means it's normal the majority of people on earth you know, believe in some form of continued existence beyond death. You know, so it is normal. And it is, you know, when it gets in unhealthy, when it, well, delusion, a belief that is clearly out of touch with reality. You know, when you believe, if you believe you are channeling a ghost and you are just hearing voices because of the level of dopamine in your head, that's unhealthy, clearly. You know, even, you know, every ghost hunter I've known has acknowledged that these cases are not all true they've all said that's part with this one guy in new orleans particularly he's he's really interested in trying to piece apart i think it's because and i one of the things that came to me like you know i'm not believing in in some of these i got to thinking one day years ago how is this how does this world that we're in look different from one where none of that stuff exists and i had trouble coming up with an answer um it's but uh I lost my train of thought with that. Well, I mean, you have a great point that about consistently, especially in the U.S., consistently 
whenever Gallup or uh, YouGov or any kind of survey goes out, about a third or more of the population in the United States believes in some form of ghosts. And that's not even the religious component. Mm-hmm. It's the the ghostly right. or communicating with some spirit. And and as you said, there's differences between supernatural and paranormal and you can get into the weeds with all that. Yeah. Which and is if you go, it's like if you go just ghost, okay, there's a third on ghost in US. Yeah, in the um, US. And, there, and there's plenty of cultures where there's much greater acceptance yeah. uh, for the idea. It's you, a, but but but, it's, but you go across ghosts and all these other, and it was and then you throw in spirituality. And 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 well, it depends on what we mean by spirituality, but belief in something spiritual. Uh so that's that's that that can that's a separate issue from ghosts. You know, it's like you know, one of my thoughts on that is like, well, God's not going to lose track of you. You know, if if you're dead, you've got an appointment. It's uh, so that's that's one of my. And I know you have some feelings about. It's like, yeah, but you don't have to use religion to explain it. Um, the majority of the world, even even if it weren't the majority of the world, even if we're only that third, that's still a sizable enough minority that it falls within what is normal. It's people who are obsessed with the things when they're wrong people who are letting it get in the way of living life that uh, they that their need to their their need to talk about ghosts they're they're if they're hallucinating if it's interfering with functioning in the life that they're in that's when it's getting into what we call un- unhealthy you know, if it's maladaptive, it's interfering with your ability to adapt to life, your, your ability to function occupationally, socially. And say that's that's when we're talking about things that are unhealthy. If it, but it's like the, the person who is pursuing the ghost because it's something they do, it's it's part it's something they enjoy. That's a big part. Are they enjoying it while they're doing it? Uh, that's an important. Or, or, and there are different forms of enjoyment. There's the intellectual enjoyment. It's. Um, there's a lot of rewards people get out of these things. Even the fear is you, you brought up uh, the, the question of why do we do things that make you feel fear? You know, adrenaline can be activating. People will do things for an adrenaline rush. Uh, some of it's uh, mental rehearsal for when you're in an actual danger situation. Uh, it's uh, two weeks ago. I was driving on an interstate pretty narrow, submit dividers on both sides and Heavy rain started real abruptly. I was nowhere near an exit. I'm in this tiny little space. I'm having to slow down a lot. Cars are rushing past me, and it was really, really dangerous. Uh, I could not, re- and and in my body was reacting as if more afraid than I felt. My eyes were trying to shut because of the fear. Not something you can have when you're driving. And I had to mentally think of roller coaster. Because my eyes are trying to shut. And I just go back to the last roller coaster I was on. And to kick my body into, to kick it into rehearsal mode. To tell my body this isn't as dangerous as to keep my damn eyes open until I got to an exit. So there, there are important things for frightening entertainment that contribute to dealing with real danger. And... There's excitation transfer. It's like fear contributes to other emotions. There are reasons for watching scary movies on a date. You know, the the adrenaline rush in one situation may contribute, you know, enhance the the romance of the situation. And there's also this community component to telling scary ghost stories or scary stories. Mm -hmm. It's It kind of brings us together as a tribe. I mean, we do it around a campfire or we do it you know, in, in groups of people, right? Am I correct? Yes, it's, those are some of the oldest stories in the world. People, uh, of course, we talk about campfire. How many of you really, how often do you really sit down at the campfire when you're telling a story? But we, we still refer to the campfire stories. People telling stories to scare each other, to get reactions out of each other. Uh, yesterday, my, my wife did something to try to startle me, and then she was disappointed when I didn't jump. Uh, so, so, it, 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 these things pull people together, get people to talk, get people to think. We, from, when we pass down our traditions orally, from, and not just that, but stories pull people together. Story 
is something important that distinguishes human beings. Story is how we share ideas. Story is how we we progress on inventions. Story is story is how we build culture. Culture is built around story. You know the story of what you've done, the story of what you're going to do, the the and the big question of what if. You know, once upon a time, the ability to light a fire was fictitious. You know, that, that question of what if is one of the most powerful things in the world in terms of driving everything in, the, in, in culture, in life, in, in our own lives. And, of course, that what if is going to figure into questions of, well, what if there is something else? What if there is this thing I can make you get startled by? Uh, so whether you're telling about the, the, the guy with the hook. Who, who scared these kids? You know, and then there are the hook was caught in the corridor. And I'm telling the story terribly because just about anybody who watches is going to know what story is I'm referring to. It's yeah, it's like we. It is fear can fear can drive people apart, but fear can also make people huddle together, you know, for protection. Well, and and actually, yeah, I mean, we see that even right now in our society, it's doing it can do both. Like depending on the narrative it can both create a divide, but also a tribe of people that are huddled together, um, you know, and then viewing someone else or a group of people as the other, uh, you know, yeah. I know that's maybe slight tangent, but when we all get together and we agree on a certain kind of story and core of belief, then it makes it easier to view the people that don't share that as outside of our tribe. Yeah. Politicians, who can the politician who can tell the better story gets more people to vote for yeah that politician and the 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 one who invokes fear it can get them to pull together the fear and anger you know those those are some of the things that that will get them and i'm trying real hard to avoid referring to any particular group of people uh, right but yeah and then there's then there's the fear of those people that that othering is uh, the one of this it does seem to be oddly natural but for being advanced human beings we've also have we have the ability to think about it and to think past that you know there this us versus them is there throughout history throughout human behavior uh, but the the larger your sense of us might make you feel less special the more the tighter your group of us like it's it, any cult they get their people to ostracize themselves, to cut them out, to see them as a big, giant group, and that, that to make the us even tighter and more. So they're using fear to support the feeling of connection to those that they're safe with, to build that sense of community and make them feel even less fearful with the people that they should feel safe with yeah the psychology of a cult i mean that's a that's a, a whole other conversation that i would love to bring you back on because mm-hmm. just this notion of it's it's also speaking to someone's lack of feeling special something that's missing inside of them and you yeah. provide it and you say yeah you're special you're chosen mm-hmm. and you're with us now and they're not those out there they are not the chosen ones but you are and there is that absence inside of someone that that cult really speaks to. Yeah, and, um, and we and going back to our, our original talk, Alex actually knows a whole lot more on the psychology of cults. He's been researching it heavily lately. Um, but on, the, on that, feeling of, but that feeling of special uh, figures into we don't just want there to be ghosts. We we want to be we we want to know about that story ourselves. Every ghost hunter wants to be the one who finds the definitive evidence. Yeah, some of them say outright, a friend of mine is, uh, has, has well been, a, a, he's done the camera work for a number of uh, ghost hunting shows on Discovery. And he, and he he's talked about some, some of the folks who work on these shows. And one in particular is absolutely de- determined that he is gonna be the one who will find that definitive evidence it's like it's it's part of wanting to be part of wanting to be special and it's also it can be part about wanting to contribute something special to do something that makes their mark and that goes back to your terror management theory says you want to do that special thing because you're motivated 
by the fear of your own uh, you know, mortality. Well, and the this this notion of well i, I want the community component i want to stick with mm-hmm. that for another moment because yeah. from it seems kind of obvious why would be why would we be more afraid when we're alone versus surrounded by others but from mm-hmm. the psychologist standpoint what is what is your explanation of that why are we more scared when alone versus within a group oh yeah i mean there's that's important. You can make the evolutionary argument that, uh, well, you know, one gets picked off by the wolves more easily than eight. And uh, also, if, if you're with eight, somebody else might get attacked by the wolves first instead of you. It's th- that old sense of safety in numbers. There is, we want somebody to agree with us. We want to see eye to eye with somebody. We, we want to believe people are more like us in certain traits. We want to feel special in our best stuff. We want to feel unique about our best qualities, but in terms of normal qualities or our worst qualities, uh, we want those to be shared. Yeah, so, so we'll project our worst qualities in other people. So it's like, uh, but not just the but the normal stuff too. We we want to we want to connect with people. We want to, in terms of personal interaction, we want people we can share things with that are interesting to us, and. You know, there, there's, if you're going to, you want to witness too. If you discover that ghost in the middle of the night and you're by yourself, if somebody else is with you, you've got somebody who can back up your story, who, who somebody you can talk about in the moment, somebody you can hang on to in the moment, somebody that might, ghost might go after instead of you. Um it's a, it's a, there, there's, there's the safety aspect, but there's, there's the witness aspect. Even, even in terms of later on thinking, maybe I remember that wrong. It helps if there's somebody who was there who can confirm it for you. You see a celebrity on the street. You know that's who that is. In that moment, you know absolutely that this person you're crossing paths with in the sidewalk in New York is Rue McClanahan. This this happened to me, uh, so, but it's like later on I can try to talk myself into going that maybe that wasn't Rue McClanahan. Uh, that also happened with Claire Danes on a street in New York. Um, yeah, I had a Rue McClanahan uh, interaction in New York too uh, oh, yeah? a couple of years ago, which is just hilarious. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but and it, but if you got somebody with you, you got somebody who can even they can give you reassurance about your own experience. Yeah. So what I've experienced is when I talk to people, let's say out at a bar or a party, party mm-hmm. gathering or whatever, I, I, I truly love this, that people will say, I don't believe in any of that stuff, but there was this one time and then they, so they give that disclaimer and yeah. that disclaimer serves the purpose of a buffer like this. I'm a reliable source. You can trust me. And also like I'm, I, you know, I'm not a wackadoo. It, it's it, it's like that little line seems to serve such a sociological purpose. It seems like creating that buffer. Yeah, like you say that, I immediately have what springs to my mind is, but there was this one time on uh, a ghost thing, and then, but there was this one time on a UFO thing. I have one of each of those um, from younger days. That's like man one in particular um but uh, there could be another it's just um well i know a second or third grade because of uh, where i was living my my dad being a methodist minister we got moved a lot so a whole lot of uh personal stories i know by reference point from where where we were at the time and it would have been it would an evening service and just black outside why was it so why were we outside when it was that late maybe it was the weather but it was so dark outside and I'm looking at the window, and between bushes and the window, there are these hands moving around. Just hands, like disembodied hands. Now, there could have been reason there was somebody out there moving hands around with black sleeves between the bush and the window in the evening. Um, but, man, that is not what that looks like to me. That was... That was that stayed with me. That stayed with me so strongly. So you think uh, ghostly? You think, or or that's that's the that 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 seemed absolutely ghostly to me. Um, 
it's uh, I was gonna say it sure seemed like those hand, those hands were not connected to a person there. What was what's the uh, the UFO one? Oh, that was that was not as interesting. Just uh, seeing, uh, just looking at the sky and seeing this very weird um, squiggle of light abruptly in a certain spot in the sky. And I've never heard of any natural phenomenon that fits that. Yeah. Do you think? So aside from belief, because I don't, you know, I try not to dabble in discrediting or even. Yeah. Um, I, I I kind of try to let people have their beliefs as long as it's not damaging to society. Um, but is there telling ghost stories, having talking about scary encounters, does this serve, as you mentioned, an evolutionary purpose because we are no longer typically threatened by wolves. We're no longer dealing with that, like we're at the top of the food chain and unless we're in the water where, you know, sharks swim and we're very vulnerable, we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty good. So do, but do these the survival stories, these... mechanisms still exist in us? Yeah. Yeah. We've inherited these survival mechanisms. That's probably the kind of thing that produces uh, some people's general, general anxiety disorder, generalized anxiety or, or panic disorder uh, or, or phobias is just the fact that we've got these survival mechanisms that are still there in the brain. They're ready to be activated by danger. And if danger is not happening in your life, if there never are any wolves possibly there in the woods, part of your brain might be ready to start detecting things as fitting what it's ready, what it's prepared to detect, whether it's appropriate or not. So, um, I mean, so a, a scary we don't movie. live in constant danger the part of the brain that's ready to detect danger might start detecting it in things where it, it, it doesn't really fit. I mean, but there's a healthy, uh, there is a healthy element to that as well, right? I mean, yeah, we, you know, of... uh, an alertness to danger keeps us alive. It's like, we need these mechanisms. So getting on your question, I know I'm interrupting you while you're interrupting me, that's, uh, but uh, on your question about um, things like horror entertainment, Things like interest in murder mysteries and, 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 and true crime and the paranormal can be ways of exercising those mechanisms in something that is definitely healthier than just perceiving danger in everything. Mm -hmm. Like a release valve. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Um, you don't... Don't like to go quite to the way uh, Freud talked about catharsis because there's some conflicting stuff on his meaning there, but there's definitely uh, there's definitely some of that. At least something to do with it, something to direct it into. Maybe a little more sublimation than Freudian catharsis for those who know Freudian terms out there at all. But it's sublimation is simply you take one impulse, one drive, one emotion, and channel it into something safer, something more constructive than what the impulse had been. You know, in, instead of breaking things, you go for a jog, that's sublimation. You know, it's redirecting these ener energies into something healthier or more constructive. And, and I honestly think some of the, the fascination with the paranormal can be sublimating, you know, these other survival mechanisms. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of in the same category as like a roller coaster horror movie. Mm-hmm a paranormal pursuit it's it's allowing us to in a safe healthy manner exercise that that fear or or feel a little bit of that fight or flight experience and a contained experience yes very much so so i wanted to talk to you a little bit about sort of the psychology of a haunt let's say okay. let's say ghosts exist let's okay. say we're going to go with that premise from your perspective there's a lot of theories about what makes a ghost what mm -hmm. what might make a ghost stick around if this is a person who has shuffled off their mortal coil but they continue to choose to exist mm -hmm. from your perspective thinking about this what might make a person stick around 
This is I bring this up when I, I uh, do these uh, panels with uh, the Ghost Hunters too. First, it's like, what do they think it is? Because you know, it's it's not necessarily the person. So uh, many it, theories. Yeah, you know, they they always like could be some kind of uh, you know, psychic residue energy and so sure. forth. So so there are other ideas. Yeah, like, time slips, all of it. But if it is the person, and and that's what the original idea of ghost is that somehow it's that person, and uh, it's. Um, What's left in them? It's like there's the issue of, well, the unfinished business, the thing they didn't take care of. We are very motivated by things that we didn't complete. There's what's called the Zygarnik effect, where things you didn't complete or did not complete to your satisfaction become more memorable and very motivating. It could be it's like you were watching a movie and you had to leave 10 minutes before it was over, and it might be a movie you'd have completely forgotten but you don't know how it ended and it becomes more memorable. A task you did not get to finish. It can just nag at you. And that's, you know, unfinished business also makes for a really good ghost story and ghost movie, regardless of whether that would actually be what's motivating ghosts. And uh, so you're, I'm, I'm very interested. It's like, if these are these people, to what degree are they able to adapt and change now? Are they able to learn? Or do they just stay and repeating the same things over? Do Are they able to remember things they've encountered since death? Are they able to remember the last person who stumbled in the house? Or are they caught back in whatever they were like while they were alive? You know, it's like these are intriguing questions. The, the, does the How much does the ghost have the ability to form new memories? As, and that will make a difference on their ability to find completion if it is about unfinished business. You know, if, uh, you know, what, how much can you make progress if it's, you saw the good place? Oh, yeah, of course. All right. So, you know, when, when Chidi's commenting, it's like, what good does it do to go through these 800 things when we don't get to remember the lessons we've learned? Well, do the ghosts get to remember any lessons that they've been learning since death? It's, uh, yeah, are they, they stuck there by that sense of unfinished business? Is it anger? Are they, are they angry people who are, are mad about being dead or are mad about other things that, Maybe it's not even the whole person. Maybe it's the piece of them that was angry while the other parts have moved on. It, it's uh, yeah, And then there's that fear of mortality, that same issue that we talked about with living people and our own interest in ghosts can be part of the ghost's own fear of moving on, um, especially if they don't know for sure what they're moving on to. That's, a, that's like a very – it's a – out of all the theories and you know when i say ghosts or when we talk about theories i don't think there's a catch-all i think maybe there's a lot of things happening but this notion of reflecting on your existence and now you're aware that there's another plane to all of this and then oh shit like what is awaiting me over there i know Mm -hmm. i know now there's more than just this meat bag uh, that means that there's something else over here. What am I going to? And and that can be scary. Like this, is it good? Is it bad? Am I thinking about all of the mistakes I have made? Uh, what's happening now? That That's like, it's such a crazy thought. And there can be just, you're, you're not quite ready to give up your interest in this world. And like, you know, say, 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 say I'm a ghost tomorrow. And... I could go through a door onto something else. It's like, well, I kind of want to know what's going on with my loved ones. I, I'm, I'm, I, I still have an ongoing interest. And it would be why you don't see as many ghosts uh, from, you know, it's like from years back. It's like you, you see far more ghosts from the past century, the past couple of centuries, than from a thousand years ago. Because far more of them have had time to move on to disconnect from this world. You know, the people that they're, they're, they were connected to are no longer long. You know, they say, it's like, as long as somebody remembers you, you're never really dead. It's like, okay, but what about when all the people who remember you are dead? Um, that, that could be part of the tether to this world is the connection, that, that they still feel connections, even if they can't directly interact um, with uh, the people or places or situations whatever it is that they're they they feel tied to i've thought i've thought about a certain type of haunting 
kind of like what we're speaking about now that in a way it is sort of this spectral therapy it's this mm -hmm. transitional phase where you have to figure stuff out assuming that as a, a ghost you're able to learn and make new memories yeah i've thought about it as this therapy and that speaks to a fear of judgment or dealing processing that not you know uh still not ready to let go of your loved ones which is sort of this reverse grief and yeah. and then maybe not able to let go of things in your life a place whatever it is to almost an unhealthy degree these are all things that you would have to address and cover in therapy yes very much so and and they're having to do it alone and that's that's one you know they're there it's you don't hear a lot about ghosts interacting with each other there's the question of like do, do they do they even see all the other ghosts and it's one of these places that's so full of ghosts and they seem to be in their own thing and people will account where some ghosts seem to express greater awareness of the other ghost and some seem oblivious to the fact that they're there at all um for and of course we're taking this from people who've picked up anything here and there it's it's a complicated uh, bunch of information but you know that question itself of what motivates the ghost and what is it like the psychology of the ghost themselves that question intrigues me yeah uh, it's um what and so i have that have to go to it's like well like i said don't believe in ghosts but love to be wrong but i still say i can set that aside and still ask well what if and then go what if they are and they say what would that mean and in terms of think it is still a useful question even if the ghost didn't exist it's still useful for us to think about because it can just as easily tie back into real human psychology anything with this isolated person who is having to do this without help what can be done for them well that applies to real people not just the question of ghost and there are people who's like part of their thing in investigating haunts is or or helping somebody who is reporting that their house is haunted is to help find out what this ghost need what what the ghost needs to be more at peace in the environment they're in or to move on and so there are people who are part of what motivates them as ghost hunters is this desire to help the ghosts. Yeah. And a, a lot of the, the stories we hear, again, there's a myriad of themes that run throughout ghost stories, mm -hmm. but is a person that has had harm done to them and their murder or their crime or whatever mm -hmm. remains unsolved. And I think, I mean, that seems to speak to this innate human need for justice. Like, mm -hmm none of us like that unknown unknown element that thing of okay a loved one tragically murdered someone got away with it or or even being robbed you know my your house being broken into like we seek justice it would seem like some of these ghost stories or types of ghosts we encounter they kind of they they speak to us in that way this need for justice i mean we is that am i on the right path with that no that's a that's a that's a very powerful motivator this uh the i mean just world uh hypothesis is the theory of melvin learns that there there is a rover is that well rotor and, and learner they're both their ideas figure into this one having to do with locus control but this idea that um justice exists in the world we need to believe that there is justice and if something violates our expectations regarding justice we either need to, to think it's like well they'll get theirs in the end somehow they'll get justice anyway um people who believe it just happens they're not as active as people who believe justice exists but we need to give it some help we need to do some things to make it happen and if something has happened to you maybe you want revenge maybe you want justice maybe you just want the question to be answered if somebody has murdered you you probably want them to be found out um of course you know if, if you're now a ghost you also know well there is an afterlife so you know maybe they'll get it then uh but if, if you've been murdered it's gonna really bother you of course if you remember that you've been murdered right 
And it's, uh, you know, it may be that you're, you're blocking, whether suppressing, repressing, some form of not letting yourself think about the fact that you went through that. And there is that too. There, there are, we repeatedly hear about people, it's like some ghost who are communicating express knowledge of their deaths and some don't. It, there's a lot of, with the, with the events I do uh, outside of comic cons, I do a lot of paranormal events and um, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in locations that are purportedly haunted. I don't really identify myself as paranormal investigator, even though I've done it. I, I kind of prefer journalist and researcher, but there's a lot of projection. There's a lot of like the, yeah. from the human level or the, the, the flesh and blood level, how we interpret or even attempt how we attempt to communicate with a ghost speaks a lot about ourselves. The, that, that's true of therapists. That's true of people. The, the, the way a therapist communicates with a client says a lot about the therapist. It's, uh, and yeah, and the projection when you're, you're taking qualities of yourself and your own expectations and projecting them into others or ambiguous stimuli, whether we're talking the Rorschach test or a conversation with another person, it's that people who report near-death experiences, the things they report tend to reflect what they expect to encounter in a near-death experience. If they're Christian, they may encounter something Christian. If they're not, if they're of another religion, they may encounter something that fits that. Uh, they children are more like people. A lot of people say they saw a, a dead loved ones, but children are more likely to report seeing people who were alive. Uh, so the the things that you're expecting you're projecting into these situations and what's going on if, if when somebody's trying to communicate with a ghost it's like the therap the a therapist who how do i put this okay there are therapists who regularly discover certain conditions in their clients does that mean that therapist is just very good at detecting this thing that other people aren't or that therapist's beliefs and expectation have them ready to interpret things as fitting that? That would also happen with somebody's attempt to interact with the ghost. You know, one person could interpret the same conversation or the same evidence or glimmer, uh, whatever it is that they're getting. One person can interpret it very differently from somebody else, just like two people looking at the cloud. No, it's a bunny rabbit. Uh, it's, uh, you know... In, Somebody play EVP. I wish the people playing these EVPs would not tell me what they heard before they play the recording. Right. Once you've told me what you heard, it, it doesn't mean anything what I hear now. Even if I hear exactly what you hear, it might be only because you told me that. You know, if, if you tell me, you know, you know, Elton John is singing wrapped up like a douche, and it's like, okay, you're going, oh, yeah, that's definitely what he's saying. You tell me, no, he's saying wrapped up like a douche. It's like, oh, that is what he's saying. So, so don't tell me what you hear in the EVP before you play it for me. Yeah. And they keep telling me what they hear. They tell the audience what they hear. All right, now tell me what I hear such and such. Don't say the I hear such and such part. Let's find out what people really hear individually. Yeah. Well, the suggestibility of it all, like it's it's tricky when you're having, you know, when you're at a location or whatever and you're seeing something quite, un, it appears, seems anomalous. Well, it's, it, it, it's exciting. You yeah. want to share it. You want to connect with somebody else. You also want the you want the validation from yeah. others. It's hard to resist sharing the 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 detail that you want confirmed by others. And you don't want to be the person missing out. So if everyone else is seeing this shadow move around, oh yeah, you can very clearly. And I've I've uh, I've seen this. I've observed this firsthand with religious phenomena as well, where like if everyone else has seen that thing, you can convince yourself to likewise see that thing, not even through a deceptive way. No. You can convince yourself. No, it's like you've got a bunch of your brain is trying to detect the stimuli. You're, you're, you're fitting them in. There's a pattern you're looking for and you are, there's a, you are now primed to detect a particular pattern. If, you're reading a list of words right after having watched a violent movie. You might interpret that list of words, the violent meanings of some of those words, where somebody else wouldn't see the violent meanings. You're reading this list of words, and it's like some uh, uh, dog. Oh, dog doesn't have to be violent, but you, you may interpret have an interpret violent interpretation of the word dog from having read that list. Punch. Somebody else might see fruit punch, where you see punch in the face because you're primed by that schema of violence. 
uh, so you there's a particular pattern you want to see if there's the shadow that others are seeing you want to see it and everything in you that can go to detecting it is trying to find that well i mean we talked we've talked a lot about maybe the personality of the ghost and also why mm-hmm. ghost stories speak to the human condition but if if we are thinking that these are humans just on another part of the journey mm-hmm. why do ghosts scare us they don't scare everybody but yeah there is uh there is the fact that we don't know for sure what they are. Hamlet, the ghost of his father speaks to him and gives him a mission to avenge him. But Hamlet is Hamlet is afraid. He's, he's not as afraid of his father's ghost as the other people who witnessed the ghost word, but Hamlet is also afraid of the possibility that it wasn't really his father's ghost. What if it's some demon or something else trying to get him to do wrong? It's like that not everybody's afraid. Some people take great assurance in the idea that there's this ghost, especially if it's a particular one. You know, if they feel like the grandfather's spirit or their late spouse's spirit is hanging around, not everybody is afraid. But you, you don't know for sure what it is. It comes out of nowhere. Why is it here? You know, for it to be hanging around, it's motivated by something it may have. You don't know its intent. You know, as, as for, for, you know, I encounter a random ghost. I don't know what that ghost motive is and why it's there. Why is this ghost hanging around? What does it want from me? Does it want to do something to me? Does it have the ability to do Can it reach inside me in a way that somebody else couldn't? Uh, it's there in... It, 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 of course, it touches on that whole death issue and mm-hmm. that immortality. We want a, an ongoing sense of our existence, but the eternal is daunting. The universe is massive. Eternity is massive. You know, the overall sense of all the stuff that that can reveal can make you, you feel a, a bit scared by the sheer scope of it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like this is this is why I also have to have you back to do the psychology of um, UFOs and alien phenomena because that's a, that's a whole other topic. But that's a whole let, other topic. Let me well, let me ask you before I let you go. Obviously, knowing a lot about the human condition mm-hmm. and having written a lot about it, having studied a lot, the there's still the things that get to us. What mm-hmm. what is something? Even if you can explain it from a psychological standpoint, what is something that scares Dr. Travis Langley? Heights. <laughs> oh, yeah? I hate heights. Okay. So I love that you went with like a very tangible, like a, a, a real world thing. And it's not, it's not hate, under I the hate, bed. It's I not hate, dolls or heights. clowns or anything. No, oh, I like clowns. Uh, uh, I even, I, uh, my introduction, when I wrote uh, my uh, introduction in the, the the joker psychology yeah you know i i comment on how it's uh or maybe it was the horror chapter in the, anyway in there but i comment on about people's fear of clowns and there are plenty of reasons we're getting an uncanny valley and all kinds of reasons why there are so many people with fear of clowns but i always liked clowns you know i definitely don't have chlorophobia uh but i hate heights uh, one of one of my sons the one you don't know uh he he he's worse about heights than i am yeah. But I, I was like, but if we're going up in a glass elevator, you wouldn't know that. I hate the fact that the world is dropping out from under me. Uh, so I, I, I hate heights. It's, yeah. You know, ghosts. It's like, I remember when the, when we had the super moon, the real not, not too long ago, mm-hmm. the really bright moon in the middle of the night. I drove out to uh, about fifteen miles out of town, the cemetery where a lot of my relatives are buried, and. I went to that. I just liked the idea of going to that cemetery in the middle of the night when it was really hard to see things, but better than normal. And it's like, well, one, well, if the ghost did come up because it was the middle of the night, hopefully there'd be enough of them to go, oh, he's one of us. He's family. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, oh, I mean, if something actually uh, spooky were showing, I can totally believe I could get scared. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, ongoing thoughts. No, that is the, the, the thought that something might be haunted doesn't scare me. 
Um, even if I'll be tense, as that's still like I said, I would love for something to show up. It's like, wow. nope, it's uh, the high danger to friends and loved ones. These are the kinds of things that that will will, will scare me. I mean, you you just the the scene family. I mean, it's a, it reminds me of the movie Coco, but just how other cultures that seem to lean into mm-hmm. ghosts have, in a, a lot of ways, a healthier way to process death and grief. And they're more comfortable with the idea of the ghost. They take them more for granted. I think some of the 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 Western. I mean, it's very specific areas of Western culture where they're this in. Those who refuse to think about them aren't relating to the possibility of ghosts or even death itself in necessarily as healthy a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the cultures that celebrate their dead seem to be be more comfortable with the reality of it and and more secure in it. It's almost like by a lot of Western culture us avoiding death not being confronted mm-hmm. with death not even trying to think or talk about death we end up being more obsessed with death mm-hmm. as opposed to the cultures that openly talk about it and process it and and embrace it as a part of the journey yeah avoidance tends to make fears worse uh, I, I know there, there are times when the thing you're afraid of you you need to avoid because that's because let's say you're afraid of dogs and you, you see a dog and you can cross the street and avoid that dog or you can go near that dog now if going near that dog just makes you panic and run away okay that avoiding it helped you not have that panic experience uh but you still need to every time you avoid it you've gotten the relief for avoiding the dog so you've gotten the you've reinforced the fear Avoidance reinforces fears. There are times when you do need to avoid because you are not ready to just be overwhelmed by that fear yet. And it's not for somebody else to decide when you have to deal with your fear. Um, But completely avoiding it, you are not learning how to cope with it, how to manage it, or sometimes discover, oh, this thing isn't that scary, or discover, no, it is scary, but I can find other ways to deal with it. Yeah. Before I let you go, Mm -hmm. uh, let everyone know how to follow you upcoming books that are on the way anything else that you want to plug i'm easy to find on social media just look for travis langley i'm at superherologist on twitter one of the 10 most followed psychologists on twitter even though i, I got annoyed with twitter a long time ago uh, <laughs> so facebook's the easiest way to communicate with me in social media i have an instagram and so forth but just look for travis langley i'm easy to find the books are at amazon Barnes and Noble and wherever fine books are sold. We've got Spider-Man Psychology Untangling Webs coming out now. The previous one was Stranger Things Psychology Life Upside Down. A few months, we've got a second edition of Doctor Who Psychology, although the original subtitle was Madman with a Box. It's now times change because times have changed. Um, and then there are other books that we're, we're talking about what we're going to do for yeah. a couple of years. And then there yeah. are about these possibilities. And because I'm really excited about the things we're talking about for the upcoming years. Me too. But I'm also, I'm really excited to have that uh, second edition of the, of the Doctor Who psychology coming out. I'm oh, that was so much fun to work on too. Very excited it, about it's, that uh, it, it made me want to keep writing about Doctor Who. I know it's, I mean, it, you know, the, just keeps regenerating and my love just kind of keeps regenerating uh, with it for that franchise. So uh, my friend, I've just really enjoyed speaking with you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and yeah, it I hope it's we get hard. to do this in Comic-Con form soon in person yeah. or we'll get to work on those projects that we're talking about. I think some really exciting stuff. Yeah. To be <laughs> okay. Uh, Travis, I will talk to you soon, sir. And uh, thank you for your time. All right. Bye-bye-bye. And that was Dr. Travis Langley talking about the psychology of a haunt. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. I like bringing in academics to discuss the other side of this paranormal phenomena and these theories. Again, working from theories, but it's interesting to think, if this stuff is happening, why might it be happening? So, psychology of a haunt, Dr. Travis Langley. And if you have suggestions... I want to hear uh, for guests or topics, hit me up. You can reach out to me at talkingstrange at denofgeek.com. And in fact, 
I want you to share stories of the strange and unusual at TalkingStrange at denofgeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content.